You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Blogging Heads TV. This is Culturally Determined. I'm your host, Aria Cohen-Wade, and my guest is Michael Sweeney. Uh, Michael, please introduce yourself. My name is Michael Sweeney. I'm a film and television editor and uh, uh, also a huge Game of Thrones fan. Right. So we are coming to you uh, 10.50 p.m., you know, uh, barely half an hour after the end of the finale to Game of Thrones. Uh, we've done a couple of these episodes before. Uh, this will presumably be the last one, but who knows? Because, you know, it seems like possible sequels are set up by this episode or spinoff series. Um, so uh, what did you think of the finale episode of Game of Thrones? Not like it was not great. I got sort of pulled in again on uh, the previous episode, which I liked a lot. And this seems like it was sort of a faint in that direction. And then they're like backing up to, hey, what if we had a ending where we saw what happened to all our favorite characters and everyone was happy? Um, which I felt like was significantly less interesting than the direction they were setting themselves up to go in. Yeah, so we'll, yeah, so we'll be talking about the entire final season. Um, we, the last episode we did was after the first episode, but um, plenty of stuff has happened in the subsequent five episodes. So I, I actually liked it, um, and I, get, I think that's putting me in a minority. Uh, my uh, wife... Uh, I asked if she hated it, and she said, what's worse than hate? And she, she has some friends who she uh, was texting with, and they all uh, pretty much uniformly disliked it as well. Um, and, yeah, so it kind of seemed like, and especially after when they jump forward, like, a couple months, or it's unclear how long, uh, during the scene where they're having the like, Council of Nobles, I was thinking, like, this kind of seems like fan fiction. It was like, what would happen, you know, how would this work out? Well, you know, if we had to have a new small council, like who would be on it? Well, who would be the Grand Meister? Well, I guess it would be Sam. And it was kind of this <laughs> connect the dots kind of thing. And it was so was, there was some very cheesy elements of it. Um, but I yeah, it was like the uh, the end credits of Animal House where they say you know what happened to each character. In yes, the, yeah, in the this future, one became a senator and, and so on. Um, and yeah, so uh, you know, Sansa, that lo- lovable character, she becomes uh, Queen of the North, and, and we're all happy about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only one who kind of gets a crappy fate is uh, Jon Snow, sentenced to once again join the the, um, the Night's Watch, and he doesn't seem you know all that happy about it. But he, the, the final scene, which we'll talk about. Um, Shows that he seems to be doing something that he feels is a good thing to be doing, um, but yeah. So I would give it kind of a B plus, and you know, it's it's notorious that these long prestige TV shows have unsatisfactory endings. Um, you know, The Sopranos one was uh, people are still de- are debating it, and most people were disappointed and lost. Uh, and yeah, it's hard to like even more. There are more characters on the show, more plot lines. How can they wrap it all up? More fan investment, like. It seems like it was, it was probably going to be a letdown unless they pulled off something crazy. Um, and I guess they kind of did do something crazy, which was having John murder um, Danny. So what, what did you think of that? It seemed like a somewhat convenient way out of the plot that they had written themselves into, where you know she's surrounded by bodyguards moments earlier, and then she is suddenly you know lets John, who she knows is a rival to the throne, into her chamber. You know, without even frisking him. Um, so it seems sort of unrealistic. I mean, that's a strange word to use about a scene with a dragon mm-hmm. looming over it. Um, 
but it sort of seemed reverse engineered that they were trying to get to that moment without really making it make sense. Yeah, I mean, they were setting, like, the uh, previous episode where um, where Daenerys lays waste to King's Landing, um, and then the first, like, 15, 20 minutes of, of this one were setting her up to be a kind of, like, um, you know, like, neoconservative fascist leader or something who's going to, like, make the world safe for... It's not like democracy, and there, there was this, you know, a little bit later on with where they were kind of like invented democracy and then dismissed it, but just like, you know, we'll make the world good, and if we have to kill half the world in order to do that, well, that's just the price you have to pay. And, um, and just, you know, the, the first, um, part of the episode looked really cool, it looked like some sort of, you know, it looked better than like the, the, when, the times when Star Wars has tried to do like the fascist, um, kind of stuff, like just the way it was shot and, uh, the colors were all, really cool and look cool but then and then yeah so they could have you know they could have thought out the consequences of danny being this you know um dictatorial like someone who thinks she's doing good for the world through her firepower and dragon firepower and that would have been an interesting dark ending uh but they they decided (laughs) they decided not to do that and um yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like I said, there was a fan fiction element, and I'm sure people will, will write like other fan fiction where uh, John does not kill Danny. You know, there's there's been a couple of moments in the show where two people embrace, and then you hear that one of them has gotten stabbed, and you're not sure yeah. which one. And they did it with um, Ruth and Ramsey Bolton in like season right. four or five, and then this was a similar moment where you hear the the knife going in, and you're like, wait, which one stabbed which? And then it became clear that John stabbed Danny, but they could have had Danny stab John, and that would have made just as much sense. I feel like. Maybe more sense. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah I thought, I mean, it, it's interesting because it, there's this sort of fascist element to it, but it really reminded me it was sort of like totalitarian communism, where it was sort of this international movement of the slaves and the, the lower class against the upper class, and they're going to go liberate the entire world. And, you know, obviously there is something sort of genocidal and tyrannical about this, but it's also like you could kind of talk me into it. I don't know. Like, Seeing the um, the nobles of Westeros sort of stage this coup to reassert their control over the uh, the kingdom, it's like maybe a little more mixed than I think the creators want it to be, or at least in mm-hmm. my my view, you know, there's this sort of like like maybe we should break the wheel. I don't know. Yeah, so that's interesting, and you know, the the uh, the unsullied are slaves who were freed by Danny, and the Dothraki are. Um, nomads, and I thought what I thought she was going to say to Dothraki was like, "Go run out and like pillage and do whatever you want in the countryside, and like do what you would naturally do if you were like sacking uh, places." Um, but she just she didn't say that. So what? Um, but yeah, they they are you know the Dothraki are the ambiguously ethnic um, others uh, of this world, and yeah, both the white Mongols, I guess. Yeah, they seem to be. You see, it seems like the Dothraki can encompass any really any race, but a lot of them have darker skin, um, and they're kind of like the savages and a combination of you know like the Mongols and maybe Native Americans and, and other like tribal groups. But yeah, so that's interesting that it, it wasn't like. It was like, you know, the, the dispossessed are going to bring <laughs> bring freedom, but, like, this will be messy, and if we have to, like, destroy the village in order to save it, then, like, that's okay. Um, 
So yeah, why don't we? Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about the previous episode, which I think divided the fans very strongly, and um, especially along gender lines. Um, and you you sent me a link to someone making a affirmative case for, for like why it made sense for Danny to uh, you know destroy the city by fire, and we'll, we'll link to that. Yeah, um, I think that's sort of like the third take where it's like. It's good that she she did this in some ways, or at least this is something that is is rational for her to have done in her position. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, the piece is by Erin Beatty in the LA Review of Books, um, and I think it makes a, a fairly compelling case that like a Danny is in a situation where she has been betrayed by basically everyone around her, and she's running out of allies, and her only option really is to sort of like be a dragon as Elena advised her to where she knows she's going to continue losing. If she sort of waits for these idiot men around her to give her terrible advice. And she sort of has no choice, but to rule by terror. And like, that sounds extremely dark and it is extremely dark, but there's sort of like a philosophical tradition that you could justify this with where you sort of say Westeros is this, you know, feudal medieval state of nature where everyone is at war with everyone all the time. And she's like literally Leviathan in the Hobbes conception. And you really need someone who has this immense power who can take a monopoly in the use of force to sort of end, to break the wheel, to end the cycle of of violence that the world lives under. Um, I think that's not something everyone would agree with or everyone would consider a reasonable take on the the (laughs) themes of the series, but I thought it was at least extremely interesting um, and sort of disappointing to see that the show didn't go further in that direction. Yeah, it it is an interesting, uh, interesting essay. And I think we talked about this in our previous episode, but like, uh, it seems like, it seems like (laughs) a theme of the show was like, there's no, there's really no such thing as a good King. Um, right. you know, they all have, they all end up failing and, um, and then there was this idea that like Danny could be the good, you know, the good queen and, and she would break, break the cycle. But yeah, they ha- I mean, you know, the, like, so the, the part in the episode where, um, Sam like invents democracy and then gets <laughs> laughed, laughed out is kind of, uh, was, was funny and, you know, points to like, what was, what would be the like kind of happy like version of this? Like how would it? Of, of, you know, someone sitting on the Iron Throne, like, how would it play out? And, um, you know, they, they, if, if democracy ever, like, evolves in, in Westeros, it would, it'll happen. <laughs> it'll take many, uh, many uh, millennia, it seems like. And there is this kind of, like, in the books, especially, there's this kind of, like, uh, lack of historical progress in Westeros. It's like, Right. Like, like, like they never invent new technology or like really come up with new ideas. Um, like it's kind of, they're all, like stuck in this eternal middle ages. Um, so yeah. So what could, you know, ha- could she, could she be a good queen if, uh, you know, we realize from a modern point of view that, uh, having a like all powerful monarch, uh, is, you know, never gonna, gonna do a good job. So, so maybe just us never seeing the rule of, of Danny, is is a better way to play that? I I don't know exactly. I mean, there was a uh, 
I, I can't remember. I think it was either Matt Iglesias or Dylan Matthews at Vox um, who had a series of takes where they're, they're like Cersei apologists because she had employed Kyburn, and Kyburn is like the only one who is able to produce new technology in the world. Right, so the, like, cro- like the you know mega crossbow thing, and yeah, and he's like doing all these medical experiments and like right, he, yeah, the zo- only w- zombieism or, or whatever Frankensteinism. The only way out of the Malthusian trap of the late Middle Ages is to you know go with Kyburn, yeah, um, which you know I think is sort of a, a trolly and sarcastic take, but sort of plays into that um, mysterious lack of technological progress in the world, um, which is, I, I guess I, I know learning about the books that's a a larger element of the book. So there's a lot of fan theories about, you know, the maesters or this like conspiracy to keep Westeros technologically backwards or. Oh, that's funny. I haven't heard that. I mean, if you, if you really are like sitting down and thinking about it, like how this world works, like somehow the planet is orbiting like around a sun or is tilting a certain way that like the, the the seasons are inconsistent and last years and years. So it doesn't seem like there's any way that could make sense with, with the physics that we understand. So something different is happening in this world or they're in a flat world or something. Although like at the end, Arga sails off to the West to see what's there. Um, So presumably something's there and not just like falling off. It's sort of in the back of my mind that a, uh, you know, not that they would ever do this, but a funny end to the series would be like Arya just sailing off the end of the world, like in Monty Python. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, that was, the flat earthers would would appreciate uh, would appreciate that one. Um, but I, just the other thing with, from the previous episode was that um, you know a lot, there a lot of female fans identified with Danny as a character and felt like really betrayed um, by uh, her turning into you know, um, like the Mad Queen or her deciding to uh, burn a million people to death. And there's, uh, you know, uh, hundreds or thousands of babies have been named Khaleesi or Daenerys over the past 10 years. (laughs) And there are a lot of jokes about that. Um, And I think, I mean, it just, it it shows how, like, you know, hungry uh, women pop culture consumers out there were for a character who was strong and, you know, morally good and who they could identify with. And there really aren't a lot of them in popular culture. Like Wonder Woman is a recent one. And uh, Ray from the Star, you know, the second uh, or the, uh, the third tr- trilogy of Star in Star Wars is another one, but I couldn't think of any other ones besides that who, I mean, well, I mean, there's two in game of Thrones where you have Brienne and Arya who are both, you know, heroic and uh, sort of, kick-ass women, you know, Brienne ends up being, I guess, the captain of the Kingsguard at the end of this. And uh, That's true. I think, I think um, well, I mean... Explore the world. Yeah, Arya is... It's different because also the the, the other element is that, like, Danny's beautiful, and it's, especially in the books, like, uh, Brienne is described as, like, kind of looking like a man, and people are like, Who, what is this freak? And then Arya is, starts off as a tomboyish uh, girl, child, and then grows into a, kind of a young woman. So, yeah, it, it's kind of the... Like, you know, men would get uh, Superman or uh, Batman to or, or Iron Man to identify with, um, and you know the the female lead would always be the woman who needed to be rescued or whatever. Um, so yeah, so just having the character turn <laughs> turn heel, I think, uh, was seen as a betrayal by a lot of fans. And uh, one of, one of my wife's uh friends uh texted her tonight that she was uh gonna give she wasn't gonna watch any more tv series at all because this is she's she's like done with tv series after after this one um so i i mean that shows the like strength of the connection that people built to the to this world uh but also 
you know, they fumbled it or they decided that they wanted to, they, they did something that they knew would, would piss off a lot, a lot of the fans. Yeah. And I think I, I tweeted something to this effect where it was like, it's not, it doesn't automatically make the ending of your prestige TV show good. If you've like pissed off your least, um, your least savvy fans, but it's probably necessary. Um, Sopranos, I think was a very good example of this where like the dumbest Sopranos fans were always very hungry for like more mafia stuff. And they're like, who's going to get whacked this week? Right. And who's, you know, who's on top? And, you know, the ending of Sopranos was, I think, very self-consciously trying to sort of deny that and make that as unexciting as possible where, you know, the big bad of the final season is whacked by like this guy that is like not on the show basically. Well, in, um, one, in one possible interpretation of the ending. Yeah. Well, and, well, and Tony himself is, you know, sort of, Wax mysteriously. I, we could go into the Sopranos ending, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll skip over that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, kind of the difference is that um, Sopranos was kind of an elite phenomenon, uh, you know, at least at first. Whereas Game of Thrones quickly became a mass phenomenon, as much as that can happen with an HBO TV show. Um, you know, like people like people who didn't watch Mad Men or Breaking Bad, you know, still got really into Game of Thrones. I feel like it entered the culture in ways that a lot of other prestige TV hasn't. And yeah, so, but like people getting whacked in the world of Westeros is like a key feature of the show. It's not like just there to satisfy the rubes. It's like, you know, the, the moment that, um, that Ned gets whacked in season one is the moment when everyone said, Oh my God, what the fuck? I can't believe that happened. This is like, this is something totally new in the genre. So, um, yeah, so that <laughs> that subversion of sort of like the fantasy tropes. I think there was a lot of people who were out there who were hungry for the fantasy tropes to be realized. Yeah, and I think if you know if you're paying any attention to the show, you know that it's not really trying to go in that direction. Um, and I was sort of afraid that it would go in that direction, and that you would have you know good Queen Danny on the Iron Throne, or you would have you know good King John on the Iron Throne. I'm so pleased to see it not end like that. Um, yeah, but. Um, you know, the people who sort of wanted it to be girl power for Danny. Um, I, was up, I mean, it's just, it's not what the show is, is trying to do. And I think it would have been dishonest to her character to have it play out like that. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the throne, um, I think we made some predictions, or at least I did in our previous episode. And my prediction was that the Night King would be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end. So I was very wrong about that. And, yeah. um, the, I think I said that too, did I? What did I say? Maybe. I, I, didn't, I should have re-listened before, before taping this, but that was, I, I, my argument was that, uh, you know, that it was a, and this is not original to me, it, it was a metaphor for climate change and there's all this squabbling among uh, the, the nobles of Westeros while this mounting threat is coming and then they fail to be able to counter it because they ignored it. Um, so that would have been a, a nice dark, <laughs> thematically appropriate, although I guess this one somewhat predictable ending since I predicted it. Um, and so they didn't do that. And then I think there were people who, I mean, the, the episode where they, the Battle of Winterfell episode attracted a lot of criticism um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was sometimes hard to understand what was happening because it was really dark. Um, parts of it, if these characters are like acting in, with strategic knowledge and the fact that they have two dragons, like it didn't really seem like they used that. And, um, and yeah, it was kind of a, like kind of a trudge through the like killing zombie after zombie after zombie. And then it was like, you know, not only one kind of one or two of the main characters died and it was supposed to be like the climactic battle of, of this world. So that seemed a little, 
a little cheap. And then, but I think a lot of people were happy with um, Arya killing the Night King, and I certainly was excited when that moment happened. Um, so what? What? Yeah. What did you think of of them getting rid of the White Walker plotline like halfway through this final season? Yeah, it seems like it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, I really liked that the Arya plot paid off so well that, you know, the, the years and years of Assassin School, all of a sudden it all actually, <laughs> right. it was all for something. Um, I didn't really get, some people criticized it, but they said, oh, she's this Mary Sue and she comes out of nowhere. It's like, well, I think they, they went out of their way to, like, establish that Arya is extremely good at fighting and it's... Yeah, that, I think that was a really stupid criticism. So for people who don't know, Mary Sue is kind of this fan term for, like, a um, projection of a fan character, like, into the universe who's just, like, oh, you can, like, do no wrong, kind of, and everyone likes. And so there's, like, this gendered aspect to it um, of, it, like... Uh, you know, maybe it comes from like fan fiction or something that like the the yeah, I'm not person really sure what the origin is. who writes fan fiction would insert themselves into the Star Trek universe and be able to solve the problems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, like you know, she you know they they show her getting like hit in the face by um, the, the trainers at the ten uh, thousand yeah. faces house, or whatever that place is called. Like a lot of times, and you know she gets stabbed and she uh, has to do all sorts of crap um, to get ready to kill the Night King. So I thought that. You know, I thought it was thematically appropriate, and the whole thing with the the dagger that, like, in a way, started the plot line. Um, you know, started the plot of the whole series, being that you know that dagger being the one that killed him. That was cool as well. But it was also kind of like, you know, the Night King never spoke a word of dialogue. Like, what did he want exactly? <laughs> like, kind of unclear. Why was he like? What did he want with Bran? And did he and Bran have something in common? Like, they, they all those questions were were just never answered. Yeah, it was uh, definitely sort of a letdown. And I, I also thought, like, it's almost like a, a cliche to have these sci-fi plots where it's like, oh, if we only kill the original zombie, all the other zombies suddenly die. Yeah. And once you know that that is, like, the rule, it telegraphs exactly how it's going to end. Yeah. And that was certainly the case here, where it's like, it looks like all is lost, but then out of nowhere, we kill the... You know, the mother spider and all the other spiders die. Um, and so I kind of wish they had done something a little more creative on that end. Um, yeah, and it just, it seems like the the Night King ended up not being very important, which was probably the biggest sin of that um, and even after the battle, it's like, oh, we still have half our guys. It's like, are you sure? Because like, watch the episode. It seems like pretty much everyone got wiped out. Yeah, yeah. From the episode, it seemed like the entire Dothraki horde was destroyed, and then but then there yeah, for like half the still... guys on the other side of the castle or something. Or, yeah. yeah, that was yeah, that was weird. Um, so yeah, so I don't yeah, so I, I wasn't crazy about that episode, and um, but I did like the majority of the other episodes of the season, I think. I mean, the, you know, the the whole episode, um, the previous episode had, I thought was really good, and um, had, you know, uh, Danny going, going um, you know, heel or whatever was surprising to me, and uh, looked really cool, even though it was just, just you know, showing something really horrible. Um, it seemed like you know, they did an incredible job making it look realistic that they're destroying this town and burning people alive. Um, and yeah, like legitimately frightening and terrifying in a way that the show was not always able to, uh, to pull off. I mean, it was, um, sort of, uh, visceral in 
I mean, it's it's a it's sort of bad taste to make this comparison, but it's a, inevitable. Like it felt a lot like footage of nine eleven, uh, with you know, yes, stocked people covered in ash walking around the streets, um, which I'm sure was a comparison they were aware of. But it felt disturbing in a lot of the same way that did, and I think that was in terms of driving home what they were trying to drive home. Um, they were very effective in making you know what Danny did like completely terrifying and horrifying. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you remember in the first couple seasons of the show, like, the battles were usually, like, off-camera, and you would just see the aftermath. Like, they didn't have the budget uh, to, yeah. to to stage these things. Um, yeah, and, Tyrion gets knocked out at the beginning of the battle, and then... Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think there's a, a big battle until, like, season, like, uh, four or five. Um, and, yeah, so... Well, there's, like, the Battle of Blackwater, which, look, looking back at it, seems a little small, um by the standards of the series, but that was sort of, I guess, but the one they had saved their budget for in season two. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Uh, but yeah, there, there's sort of an escalation throughout the series building up to this of more and more spectacle as their budget increases. Um, yeah. And I mean, I can't like, I can't remember a previous like, uh, screen presentation of a, a city, uh, like being destroyed, um, like this in any, you know, in any medium, um, maybe I'm sure there are, there are examples, but, uh, like you, you get the sense that this is a real thing that's happening, even though it involves a dragon uh, spewing fire. Um, and there were, you know, there were all these. So then you had all these other moments in that episode. Some of some of which uh, I think, like, so the Clegane fight, the Clegane Bowl, as, as the fans termed it. Uh, people, I think everyone liked that. It looked cool. The, the fact that they went to death, you know, they filtered their, their death together into fire was cool. Uh, and. Uh, it was like fan servicey, but it uh, still like felt like part of the sh- part of the show. Um, yeah, it was it was stylishly executed, but I did feel like it was probably my least favorite part of the episode. To oh, be honest, really? it, it was um, because there were sort of like no stakes for the story. You knew as soon as the fight started, they were probably both going to die, and Cersei is already fled. Um, so it doesn't really matter for her. Like, in contrast to The Mountain and the Viper, where, like, Tyrion, who was, I think, everyone's favorite character at the time, like, his fate hangs in the balance. And so that fight ends up, you know, it feels so weighty as to what the outcome is. And when the outcome unexpectedly turns, it's, you know, very sickening and horrifying. Whereas this, it's sort of like, all right, like, we like the Hound, but we sort of, like, know where this is going. And if it, even if it's not going there, it doesn't really matter at this point. Um, yeah. So it felt like a little bit like, hey, Clegane Bowl, and I was sort of like, hey, let's get on with it. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Um, the you know the the Hound is a character we kind of come to care about, and they they spend a lot of time with him and humanizing him. Um, and, whereas the Mountain is this like uh, you know Frankenstein killing machine, um, and but it, just in terms of like the like spectacle on screen i thought it was it was good and there's you know the, the scene where they're on the staircase where like half of it has collapsed away and so you can see the sky and i think you see the dragon also uh that was a, a really cool shot um and, and that, this is a weird comparison but it reminded me a lot of uh, <laughs> that video game soul caliber um, don't know it i think it was for for dreamcast um back in like 1999 <laughs> okay um, but there, there was a stage where it was like a castle that was burning down in the background, and it was like very the same aesthetic. Um, I know that's sort of a, a weird touchstone, but uh. <laughs> um, and then you had um, the death of Jamie and Cersei, and I think 
people, I think this up, like, from what I saw online, people weren't happy with this. Um, they weren't happy that um, Cersei, the, like, kind of one of the most purely evil characters in the show, was just killed by uh, bricks. Or I saw one tweet that was like, she was killed by gravity? Like, <laughs> that's it? Um, where, you know, they wanted her to suffer and, and uh, something like when... Um, uh, Ramsey Bolton was eaten alive by dogs. Um, right. And then, like, Jamie, like, I, th- I think it was a legit criticism that was like, why did Jamie decide to go back um, once he had, ar- you know, he had already left? Um, he had uh, made love to Brienne and seemed to have some sort of, like, actual relationship with her and then decide to go back. Uh, you know, I think the characters, it was always shown that, like, re- they only loved each other and those were the. Like each was the um, twisted mate for the other, and wouldn't you know would protect the other above above all costs. And so the fact that they like die uh, wrapped in each other's arms and are entombed in the like rubble from the palace that they like fought so hard to have, and that Cersei's bad decisions caused uh, you know caused a collapse around around them. I thought was you know, did have some poetic, um, significance. And so, yeah, I was, uh, I was cool with, <laughs> I was cool with her yeah. getting killed by bricks. That was, that was the word that was kind of in my mind too, where it felt like it was a poetic end. Um, and I, I'm not really sure what would have been better. Um, I actually, I take it back when I say Game Bowl was my least favorite part of the episode. My least favorite part of the episode was Euron fighting Jamie, um, mm. <laughs> which I thought was. Yeah, I forgot about that. And we actually, we talked about Euron in our previous episode. What was his, why did they bring him in? Um, Would anyone exactly. complained if he had just been blown up by a dragon and they was like, oh, that's the end of Euron. Yeah, and why did, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of seemed like, um, you know, Jamie gets like stabbed a couple times, so it seems like, and, and, um, and Euron proclaims like, I killed fucking Jamie Lannister or something before he dies, so it kind of seems like Jamie is gonna bleed to death unless he gets, you know, medical treatment and Kyburn <laughs> yeah. isn't around anymore, so no one's gonna give it to him, so he's kind of like, uh, he's kind of do, like walking dead and, um, so uh, there was that plot point, but yeah, I don't. You're, I, I don't think the Huron stuff added much, and maybe they could have figured. I mean, what what for like, all the super Huron super fans out there? Uh, <laughs> just like another five minutes of Huron. Yeah, I guess some happen. people like him because he kind of seems like he's from a different TV show. Um, yeah, and yeah, but I the, give the actor credit for at least having a lot of fun with the role. <laughs> yeah, he gave a very big performance, and then like what you know the. There are people. There were people who were predicting that like the Iron Islands were going to play a big role in the um, end of the end of the show because like the White Walkers couldn't cross over water, and so that was one prediction. And in the end, I mean, Theon is an important character, but all the stuff that happens related to the Iron Islands doesn't really make any difference in the in the, in the story. So I, I don't yeah, know why absolutely. that was why that was there. Um, I mean, it's hard. To, you know, George R. R. Martin obviously planned out some stuff. Like crazily far advance in the the Hodor plotline is evidence of that, but maybe he didn't really know what he was doing, and isn't like the master puppet master um, in all in all respects. And I'll be very interested to see exactly how the books end up diverging from what we've seen already, up to and including some things that I suspect George R. R. Martin had told them was going to be in the later books. I'm not sure if we're still going to see that. Um, yeah, if, if he, how, I mean, if Martin, if this obviously, is how he told them the books were going to end, I sort of doubt that this is how the books will end. Yeah, if Martin sees that the fans are pissed off, um, and he has, 
you know, another decade and a half to work on these things at the, at the rate he's going, like, is he going to change some stuff? And yeah, I mean, like, you know, in the, in the, you have, you have not read the books, right? But you're kind of yeah. vaguely aware of what they, <laughs> what they are. In the books, um, Theon doesn't rescue Sansa. He rescues the false Arya. Um, right. Who is this character that never appears in the show? Uh, someone they, they pretend, uh, it's like a noble girl from Winterfell who they pretend is Arya to marry to, uh, Ramsey Bolton, I think. Um, and yeah, so that, and that's like the end of, of that book is them escaping. So, so that plot line is very different. Um, but okay. So is there anything else before returning to the finale? Is there anything else from the rest of the season you would want to make comment on? I think uh, the reason the penultimate episode worked so well was they really did do a lot of work misleading the audience in terms of what would happen in that episode where you sort of have these um, very formidable array of Cersei's forces laid out, and we've seen them just shoot down the dragon. And I thought it was actually very smart to then cast all of that aside and have the battle be just like, as soon as it starts, you know exactly what's going to happen, and that Cersei has no chance of winning. Um, and I think that that was a little... At least in commentary, I've seen it's a little underappreciated how how crucial that was in terms of selling that twist. Whereas if it had been a close fought battle or there was a lot of drama or like a bunch of arrows narrowly missing, I think it would not have felt as impactful as having having done the work to say, "Oh, we put you on your back foot by thinking, making you think that this was going to be a different kind of battle than it was." Yeah, I mean, they when they killed the the second dragon, um, it was kind of like, you know, like <laughs> could they like not fly higher? And, and, like they, it just seemed like they weren't thinking very, very much about how to um, use this revolutionary technology, you know, battle technology of of a dragon. If, if nothing else, you should have a huge reconnaissance advantage. <laughs> you should have yeah, the, yeah. I the mean, giant uh, ships ambush you. And well, like, and you know, you know, they could have had a uh, Bran warg into one of the dragons. That was a fan theory um, that didn't happen. Um, I mean, I think you know. I guess in general, most fan theories don't happen, but um, this one in particular, it seems like the fans who are predicting stuff uh, mostly got it wrong. I, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not like reading the fan, the like uh, web forums or something, but aside from, um, you know, the, the very, the thing that was very obvious um, uh, about to the super fans about um, uh, John being the child of, uh, Rhaegar and Lyanna, like kind of after that, a lot of the a lot of the things that I remember reading as, as possibilities uh, didn't happen. So a lot of people waste their time, but at least they probably had fun while thinking about all the crazy things that could have happened in this universe. And, and, and who knows, it might play out in the books. You know, that's true. And I I had a pet theory that there was um, the um, Howland Reed, um, who's the father of the two uh, kids who help uh, Bran go north of the wall. Um, it's He's alluded to in the books, and he seems like he's playing some sort of big role. And um, But you never... And he's, he's there when... Um, at the Tower of Joy. Um, so, yeah, it seemed like he was going to have some key role to play. Um, but he didn't. We never met him. We never got to see his magical... Uh, world of where it's kind of like the castle that floats around in a giant bog. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there are a lot of red herrings, I guess, is, is, is the way to put it. Yeah. It, um, 
with him in particular, I guess I would imagine in the books he'll end up being able to verify Jon Snow's parentage in a way that no one really seemed to ask for, kind of curiously, in the show, where there's like, oh, yeah, Bran confirmed it. It's like, well, did he? Like, he's a weird psychic. Well, okay, let's 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 take that that point. Actually, everyone just sort of like accepts it and moves on. Like, yeah. ah, of course, he's a Targaryen, <laughs> right? So, yeah, so that's the big like it's kind of central mystery um, of the books and show is that John is actually the legitimate heir to the throne. But the way it played out, like, does that matter? Did that matter at all? Um, you know, he never, like, they're never like, well, he belongs on the throne because he is the true heir. Like, they, they never even mentioned that. And then, um, you know, I guess it adds to the fact that, like, Danny is kind of suspicious of him, but, uh, then he's the one who killed Danny. So the suspicions obviously didn't, didn't help her. Um, and yeah, it kind of seems like, you know, there was, like, there was a, a moment that I thought was maybe, uh, going to be important when the dragon is destroying um, the Iron Throne and John is right there. And you're kind of thinking like, is he going to blast John? And then is John going to be fine because he's a Targaryen and he can't be burned? Or would he be like half burned because he's half Targaryen or something? But so it's, it, the flame got kind of close to his body and he seemed fine. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. then that didn't seem to play actually play into it at all. Yeah, I think someone pointed out... Um... I guess it's when he fights the white in season one. There's like, he like grabs a torch or something and burns his hand. And it's like, well, he can't be a Targaryen if that's true. But um, the, uh, my understanding is that in the books, the Targaryen fire immunity is not actually a thing. And it's sort of like a one-time thing for Danny to step out of the fire with the dragon eggs. That's very possible. I don't, yeah, I don't remember that or not. Um, but it always seems like it was a somewhat half-baked um, element of the show. This, like, oh, yeah, and by the way, they, like, can't be burned. Um, and whether that would apply to John, or whether that was only to Daenerys, or only to Daenerys in certain contexts, or whether it would work on dragons or, or not. Um, right, and and um, Daenerys' brother gets, like, burned to death by Molten gold right. um and she says he was no dragon or something like that um so it's right. it's clearly not like the targaryens are immune to hot things um yeah yes. so it might be a recessive gene or something <laughs> right so but yeah to like if if john had not if john had actually just been ned's ned's bastard um would the show plot played out any differently like i i, I can't think of anything that really would have been different so i, I don't know that's <laughs> Yeah, it, it, that kind of seems like some sort of um, failure of plotting to make this such a big deal, and then it doesn't really have an effect. But um, yeah, so what did you what did you think of the murder of Daenerys by Jon Snow? Just like uh, I, I wish there had been another wrinkle to it. It felt like it was very it felt like it was very easy, and it was also. Very underdetermined where like what would have happened if he hadn't done it versus what would have happened if he did do it. I guess Tyrion would have been murdered, but like beyond that, um, it felt very much along the lines of like Danny's the big bad. He doesn't want to do it, but he does it anyway. It's the right thing to do because he's the hero. Mm-hmm which was not usually the way the show played things out when it was being interesting. Um, 
I mean, they, they, they say like, I think the, the back and forth on the show with him and Tyrion is like, love is more powerful than reason. Love is the death of duty versus duty is the death of love. Um, and I was thinking about that because, you know, that certainly applies to John with Egret, where he sort of breaks with her because of duty. And you, I think, you know, it's something that he regrets for the rest of his life, especially knowing how the rest of his time with the Night's Watch went. And so maybe this would have played a lot better if you sort of bought the chemistry and the love between John and Danny in a way that I don't think anyone really did. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of chemistry between between the actors. I think that's a general agreement. Yeah, and also, like, you know, it's a little tough as an audience member to get over the, like, hey, but you guys are also, like, aunt and nephew, which is a little distasteful. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, so no, I don't think a lot of people I wonder were, if they were, were kind of more invested in that to make it work than we were invested in that. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people were rooting for uh, John and Danny to have, like, an epic love story um, because of the, like, incest <laughs> angle to it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I don't know if there was, like, uh, the, the people known as shippers who, like, you know, try to in- imagine uh, pairings between uh, fictional characters and what their relationship would look like um, between them. Uh, there probably was. But, yeah, I, I think... It, you know the the whole the, the scene where she approaches the Iron Throne, um, like that. It's like that whole sequence, even before the stabbing, like was really like looked amazing. You know the the room that's half destroyed. The fact that she just like barely touches like one little uh, knob or handle on one of the swords, and that turns out to be the only like she never sits. She never sits in the throne. Yeah. So this I thought was um, an interesting wrinkle. The- there's been tons of uh, forums for people to bet on the ending of the show, who will sit on the Iron Throne. And um, how, are you, how are you collecting these bets? I, like, I actually she had... Never, she never sits on it. The throne is destroyed. I had, you had money on brand and the casino's not paying you. I mean, consider legal action. Because that's, <laughs> yeah, I actually I really had the same... the exact language of the bet. I had the same exact thought. Um yeah, there's, you know, Ladbrokes or whatever and all these other, like, uh, online gambling sites where if they're taking bets on who was going to sit on the Iron Throne, uh, well, the house wins because the Iron Throne got destroyed by the dragon, uh, which was not right. something I right. saw Does coming. Does that count as no one? Is that, is, is that a no action? <laughs> is, I, I don't really know exactly the, I don't, the yeah, I don't either. how that plays out. I bet there's people angry about it somewhere. <laughs> I mean, if you imagine if you bet, if you laid a 300 to 1 bet on Bran sitting on the Iron Throne and then they tried to toss it out of technicality that the Iron Throne was destroyed, I would be, yeah. I'd be pissed off. But, um, but yeah, that, so that whole sequence is really cool. Destroying, destroying the, um, the Iron Throne, having the dragon destroy the Iron Throne was cool. And you're, you know, you don't know if, if the dragon is going to turn on John or not. Um, but, and yeah, and, and the, the part where the, where the dragon is uh, kind of nosing, Daenerys' body and it won't, you know, uh, won't come back to life. And then uh, picking the body up and flying away was all really beautiful. And it's like twisted way. Yeah. And interesting that the dragon is still out there and where's the dragon flying to. And, you know, I think that sort of at least gives it some sort of mystery and some sort of lack of finality, you know, like there, there's an aspect of this, I suppose, where you can say this is like the end of Lord of the Rings with magic passing out of the world and, like the dragon is the last magical thing, mm-hmm. but like it's kind of nice that like the dragon is still out there, and there's still sort of this magical element that still exists. 
Yeah, and they they mention that of where Brand is like, I'll I'll look for it. Um, so he's scanning, you know, he's scanning yeah. the system, uh, trying to find where the dragon is. Um, and so then, uh, it's okay. So yeah, so then I, it's it's a cut. So after the dragon flies away, it's a cut to black, right? Um, and then they and then we have some passage of time. It seems like a couple months. And then Tyrion is, uh, we come back to Tyrion with his beard hair, um, much longer, and he gets dragged to, um, the, uh, dragon pit outside the city, and the, uh, Council of Nobles, and this is, you know, the part where it kind of seemed like they had, like, you know, there was, like, a contest for a fan to write the rest of the episode or something, and, yeah, yeah. like, a 16-year-old fan had decided what what was going to happen, because it kind of, a lot of it didn't make a ton of sense, but I, I enjoyed it, and I was like, yeah, I was fine with them going off on their own little adventures, and all, pretty much all the, the endings that they, like, meted out for all these characters I was like, yeah, the poor Prince of Dorne, uh, you know, sitting there with all the stars of the show, doesn't, doesn't get a name, doesn't get a line, you know, his actor's probably getting, like, an extra rate for the day, like, it's, uh, I feel like he got a little screwed. Um, Yeah, and they had some, like, you know, they they didn't need to bring back, um, the, uh, oh god, what, it's the the actors from Outlander, and I can't remember the character's name. Um, Oh, uh, Edmure? Yeah, yeah, they didn't need to have, bring him back and then have him be, like, a comic relief moment, uh, right there. Yeah. Um, of him like always being a loser and not up to not up to the task, but um, it's like the first thing he's done in four seasons, and you're already sick of him as soon as he appears. You're like this guy again. Um, yeah, and then you know <laughs> the experience of that scene was like you're like, wait, who are these people? Do I know who these people are? Okay, wait, that's Sansa. Like, who's that guy over there? Is that Robin? Is that him? He looks older. Like, I have no idea who that other one is. So it was. I don't know. I like it was. It was like kind of cheesy fun. But, um, I mean, there's a moment where Davos is like, I'm not sure if I get a vote. And like, I'm not sure if anyone knows if you get a vote. This seems a little ad hoc. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So then, you have, so then part of this is the, see this, the part where John, or sorry, where Sam proposes, uh, democracy and is, you know, laughed down. Um, so I, I enjoyed that part. And, and then you have Tyrion saying, um, uh, his little speech. And I think one other thing I wanted to know was that, you know, this show, at least in his first couple seasons, was like famous for like long monologues and like, really, uh, like, intense speeches that would, like, these long scenes of people, like, having conversations, um, and sometimes they would have, these conversations would be happening, um, during sex scenes, or there would be, like, in a brothel, so that became known as sex position of the, you know, long monologues, while you would also see, like, a naked woman writhing around, um, and that's, there were more of those long monologue scenes in this episode than there had been in a while because like the ply had taken over and things were, were moving so fast. So you had you know, like Tyrion giving these long speeches about yeah, duty and lo- honor and love and stuff. And so he says that the, um, like what do people respect most is not money or armies or whatever. It's uh, stories. And <laughs> that yeah, moment, I, was like, I was like, that, that was when I was almost ready to like jump, jump off the ship. Um, it's like we, I think we learned what the real power in Westeros is—the power of friendship. Exactly. You know, like we very, had it inside of us easy. all along. So then, when he says it's the power of stories, and like who has the sto- best story or knows the story is Bran. And I was like, oh my god, Tyrion is is deciding that George R. R. Martin should be the king of Westeros because he knows the whole story and he can you know access any part of it anytime. So he's the so that that part I was like, Ugh. but I mean, if you were able, like, if people really did predict Bran was going to become king like a couple weeks ago then like good for you because it didn't came out of nowhere for for me i would say i i think 
I think I was, it was on the Bill Simmons podcast. They were discussing the betting odds and Bran was like mysteriously low. And this was before, this was before the season started. So I think the, the theory was that, you know, Bran was the Night King and the Night King would sit on the throne or there was some sort of connection between Bran and the Night King. Um, but I wonder if that was reflecting inside information where people who had, you know, seen spoilers or it, it had been leaked, um, and knew how the show was actually going to end. We're, we're betting on brand and that was driving the odds down. Um, That's funny. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make a, a lot of sense. I don't think, do no. you think it makes sense? <laughs> no, it, it makes sense in the sense of like, they spent a lot of time on brand story and it's like, so it's good that they had to do something in the end. So. Right. But in terms of like this being proposed, I remember like, Oh yeah, brand. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> like it's really uh, absurd. Um, yeah. And especially since he's like, He's so strange and weird, and no one really knows him. And you know, the the North secedes immediately after he becomes king, which is a little weird that he's now king. Um, and his his homeland that he represents he's is no, like yeah, no, no longer, longer part of the kingdom. Yeah. Um, you know, it, there's in addition to the the George R. R. Martin world being sort of well thought out, it's also sort of like I wouldn't say historically grounded, but it's there's sort of an understanding of European history or world history that a lot of the incidents of the, the books are taken out of. Um, and this felt sort of divorced from anything like that. Like there's not really a historical precedent for an arrangement like this succeeding or even being workable. Um, I mean, it feels like, I guess it's like the Holy Roman empire where you have like the Lords of several constituent kingdoms vote on the King. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right, or, yeah. If, I was trying to think if you if you did like a more sophisticated version of this, it would look more like the end of the English Civil War, where you would have like this like strong parliament and this figurehead king, and then that's sort of like your your building ground towards democracy later on. Um, whereas this, it just sort of seems like yeah, it's like we got a bunch of our characters here, and this is convenient because they can vote on it. Yeah, I wonder if they. I mean, I assume this is Martin told told them this is kind of a big part of the series. Who's going to be king? I assume this is what Martin told yeah. them. But you know, you could like. I remember when um, when the uh, who shot Mr. Burns thing happened. Like you know, they like filmed or animated like other versions. Like, and I had heard that they had done that for this. Where oh, okay, so yeah, I, I wonder maybe if maybe it was just it was like stills of every character sitting on the Iron Throne, and then they would leak them or something. I yes, know, yeah, uh, they did. Yeah, I didn't there, see there was, anyone. Yeah, there, I know there were publicity photos where they did that because like there's one of like Miss Sande that I saw for sitting on their Iron Throne. But I mean, <laughs> right. like you know, if if but they I had, think that would have been <laughs> if they had just said like, okay, Sansa, you are on the Iron Throne. You know, okay, Brienne, you are on the Iron Throne. Like it kind yeah, of Brienne's got a great resume. Honestly, I would have I would have gone for that. Um, yeah, I mean, why not? Why not Tyrion? Like he, Tyrion is the brother of the last like queen who sat on the throne. Why not him? Um, but okay, Andrew, so that, I think has a, a decent claim. Bastard yeah, he, of, yeah, yeah, the last the, rightful king. Exactly. Um, decent guy. Everyone seems to like him. <laughs> fast runner. <laughs> right. He does. Yeah. He does run very fast. Um, so yeah. So okay. So then they accept that. Yes, Sansa decides um, on the spot to secede from the Seven Kingdoms. Kind of a big decision. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, okay, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and also, Sansa's rationale for that was that she was getting so much pushback from her own nobles, including Lyanna Mormont, who is now dead. So it seems like the 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 fire under her is kind of no longer there, but she's still very 
insistent on on doing it but yeah and who, yeah that's a, the the question of who like runs all these houses after you know everyone gets killed like who's who's in charge of house mormont at this point um like is there an even like yeah. younger child who's who's in charge um i guess we'll never know really badass three-year-old so um yeah so i don't know and, and yeah and there is this weird thing about like they talk about mercy and um you know, Bran kind of became like an automaton or, uh, he has like, you know, what, like a Buddha who has meditated for so long that they pass beyond the realm of human affect and like can see everything clearly. Um, so that seems to clash a little bit <laughs> with the idea of, you know, the granting mercy and like, like yeah. would you want a, a king who has no, seems to have no emotion at all? Um, I don't know. Yeah, and they, I, I wish they had somehow spelled out more like what Bran became, rather than just he can like see see what happened in the past. Maybe that's it. I, um, so, but yeah, but yeah, he's, he's yeah, he can like also sort of apparently go through and change the past with like a large amount of effort. Yeah, but it's like a, a closed loop, so it's not clear if he can do it on purpose. And um, yeah, it would have been helpful if like those two seasons we spent with the Three-Eyed Raven had like involved any kind of exposition besides riddles. Um, right. Like um, even Bran doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing. He's like, I'm not ready. And he's like, it doesn't matter. You're, you're the Three-Eyed Raven now. Um, yeah, so I don't know. An, an interesting choice the fans will be debating um, for centuries to come. And then, okay, so what, so what else happened? Yeah. So, so, um, so, okay, so, so um, Jon Snow gets... They decide that they'll pardon him for killing Daenerys, but he has to go to the Night's Watch. I thought that was yeah. fu- I thought that was funny and clever, and it was sort of like I, there were people out there who were uh, really mad at John because they thought he was be- being set up to be like the uh, like man hero to like oh Daenerys is too crazy let's give it to John the like guy who keeps on fucking up but he's a man. Um, so the fact that he's like sentenced to go back to <laughs> back to the Night's Watch in a kind of like Groundhog's Day repeat where he uh, can't escape, um, I thought, you know, was was an appropriate uh, ending for John. Yeah, and it's something that um, I realized they sort of tipped. Um, in earlier seasons, um, where Maester Aemon reveals that he is himself a Targaryen, and I think, I, I don't know what his lineage in the books was, but I think he was, like, the, the eldest brother and was next in line for the throne. I and think was that's right. to step down for some yeah. reason and join the Night's Watch. So it's sort of, you know, you, you can kind of read backwards and see, like, hey, maybe this was something that they were planting the seed for earlier on. Um I think they even they mentioned Maester Aemon in the episode, don't they? I can't remember. I'm not sure. Although it's unclear uh, what what function the uh, Night's Watch serves at this point. I think actually right. John says like it still exists or something when they say you have to go there, but they don't clarify. They're helping the wildlings go back to their homeland, but the wildlings are friends with the Northmen, and the White Walkers are dead. So um, I guess they have to like do they have to fix the wall? Unclear. What are the, what are they really doing up there at this point? Yeah, Tyrion, I think, says it's, like, it's good to have a place to just, like, dump the, the bastards and the criminals. Yeah. <laughs> Which, well, I suppose that's as good a reason as any. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a little unclear what their their purpose is now that the, the White Walkers are gone. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it's such a, I, I, like, I really like the idea within the universe of this, like, band that is, you know, you're, you're, like, your slate gets wiped clean, but you're, 
uh, committed to doing this crazy thing for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's like the uh, the French Foreign Legion, right? Yeah, like, I think yeah, I think that was one of the bases for for the idea. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know what they're doing. And, and let's, um, I think the, the moment where actually I, um, uh, teared up very slightly was the reunion between John and ghost, his dog, um, or his, yes. dire, his dire wolf. Um, and the fans are really angry in the episode where they parted ways because he didn't even like give him a little pat on the head. And the, well, I think the creator said like, Oh, we didn't have the CGI budget for it or something. Which made no like, sense. No, the they, they have the same actor. They have the same actor on a dragon. Like, you yeah. know, uh, they can have him pet a, like, dog that's twice as, you know, they see Jad to be twice as big. But it was it was very nice to see that reunion and also with Tormund, who's, who's like, a fan favorite character. Um, so, yeah, so I like all that. Um, and then, okay, so then Arya decides to kind of, like, become an adventurer. And, well, I guess, yeah. backing up one second, I think I like that they were, like, you know, the show started with the Stark family as the key, like the core of the show and expanded in crazy ways and showed all these other uh, characters and families. And then the fact that they like telescope back into the remaining Starks, um, you know, three, uh, three of them or so, four of them, I guess, have been killed. Uh, but like we're finishing off with with their stories. Um, I thought I thought that was nice. Um, but I guess yeah. what did, so what did you think of John like leading the final shot? being John leading the wildlings and the wildlings marching north. I thought that was somewhat cryptic. Uh, I, 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 my, my only thought was that it was a bookend to the very first shot of the series, which is the three nights watchmen adventuring out beyond the wall. Um, and it was just supposed to echo, echo that and sort of, you know, act as a bookend. Um, cause I mean, like, what are they doing? They're just kind of like returning to their homeland and everyone's at peace now. Um, Right, like yeah, that interpretation makes sense. You know, they were driven; they're driven away by the uh, threat from the White Walkers, and you know, we learned over the series that they weren't like evil people. They just had like you know a slightly different way of life and didn't want to um, have you know allegiance to. They didn't want to bend the knee to to a king or queen, um, and so yeah, so uh, yeah, like in the. I don't know. I I feel it's interesting that this just like these a group of people who we don't know who they are, like walking through the snow, walking away from the camera was what they decided to end this entire epic series on. Um, and I, yeah. I, I guess probably someone will come up with a better answer than what <laughs> what we have. Yeah. Well, so much of what you know, there have been people who had really centered the White Walkers in their interpretation of the story, and you know, this would be the the central conflict um, when all is said and done. And part of that was based on the fact that like sort of unusually the show begins with that scene of the three, uh, the three night's watchmen going out into the North. Um, And I guess like maybe there wasn't a good reason for it to start like that beyond the facts. I guess the books also start like that. Yeah. The books start with that scene and it's mysterious what's happening. And then you don't find out really what is happening until like subsequent books in the series. Um, yeah, and, and you know the characters don't appear again. They all are killed, or yeah. except for the one well, guy gets away and he's killed by Ned Stark. Yes, that's, yes, that's the guy who gets beheaded by by Ned um, very early in the in the book and, and in the series as having deserted his post. And yeah, um, so yeah, I don't know, I don't know how I, feel, I don't know how I feel about that. But how do you feel about um, Arya getting on a boat that somehow has a Stark 
a Stark um, sail on it, <laughs> which is a weird thing to have considering they're a landlocked power, as far as I understand. Um, yeah, and heading heading west to parts unknown. You know, I think it's. Um, I, I think people are already speculating. Just scrolling through Twitter for five minutes before we did this, uh, people are already saying, "Oh, well, this will be the spinoff, or this will be the sequel." Right. Um, which I think would be really dumb. But um, you know, having a, a sort of Star Trek of Westeros, where she's exploring all these strange new lands, um, be you know interesting. Um, it fits the character where. I think that makes more sense than her continuing to be an assassin or her settling down somewhere. Um, so in that sense, I suppose it's um, it's a good ending. Um, I, I know from watching one of these YouTube videos from one of these book scholars uh, who knows everything about the lore of of Westeros, there's a character in the books who is sort of this female navigator, explorer. Um, I don't recall I, that. I don't, yeah. I don't know the details. I'm sure there's people watching this right now who are, um, who know exactly who I mean, or I hope. Um, so maybe it's a, sort of a nod to that. Another instance where the creators of the show take something from the books, um, which applies to a, a minor character and sort of retcons it onto one of the Starks, um, to make the story simpler. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked it. It did, it did very much seem like, you know, Argus adventures will be, Debuting in 2020 on HBO, and uh, yeah, there are there already are other uh, Game of Thrones series that are like in progress at HBO, and um, it seems like this will become like a Star Trek or Star Wars, you know, never-ending font of um, creative properties. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those do because I think the the one I had read about was it's like a prequel, but you know, 150 years before, so that none of the characters will be similar, and um, I think having that that big shift is sort of a difficult spinoff to do. Um, you know, I think of um, The Walking Dead, you know, sort of at the height of its popularity spun off Fear the Walking Dead, which I think is still around, but it was never nearly as popular as The Walking Dead because they were sort of resolute and not having any of the characters overlap and not having the time period of the show overlap and setting of the show overlap. Um, and I wonder if, you know, people will take a look at this and, you know, it's not Jon Snow and it's not Daenerys and it's not these characters we know and love and they'll sort of cast it aside as an after ran. Yeah, I, you know, the, um, the, like, Robert's Rebellion would be an interesting thing to do as a show, I think, although I guess we, that would be yeah. like a media prequel. Um, and, and that would be long enough ago you couldn't really, really have any of the same cast. Yeah, some, yeah, cast the, some of those actors, like they had the young Ned um, in yeah. in this, but um, that was yeah, that was about it. Um, yeah, so I I would I mean I like um, Maisie Williams I think is the name of the actress who plays Arya, um, and I would at least give a shot give it a shot if Arya's Adventures um, was a series. Um, so then the third. Um, Stark Child is Sansa being crowned uh, Queen of the North, now an independent nation or whatever uh, in this kingdom, yeah. kingdom in this world. And that, you know, that was like, I think she became like a fan favorite character in the book. She starts off kind of like in the show being like annoying and starry eyed. And then as she comes to realize what's happening in the world, like you, like she becomes a more interesting character and you grow to love her. And um, the actress who plays her, I think has done a really good job uh, throughout. So I, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's like, that's like the fairy tale. She gets the fairy tale ending, 
of being crowned queen, and we don't yeah. learn anymore. Um, so that, there's something that's sort of, um, you know, everyone kind of gets what they want, but there's sort of a twist on it um, where John ends up like in the first episode, he really wants to join the Night's Watch, and he's like, in the end, he gets sort of exiled back to the Night's Watch against his will. Um, uh, Sansa wants to be queen, but she wants to leave Winterfell, and she ends up being queen in Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Bran like wants to be a soldier or something, and he ends up being king. I guess that doesn't really track. But um, yeah, I don't. Uh, young Bran, I don't remember exactly. I mean, he's only like nine years old. I mean, he just wants to like have fun, and he's climbing around <laughs> the walls and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think Robert says to him when he meets him, he's like, "Oh, such strong muscles, you'll be a great soldier one day," or something. Yeah. But other than that, we don't really have a, an eye to his future. Um, but yeah, so it's appropriate in some ways that the act that sets off the plot of the show, really um, him getting thrown out the window by Jamie is, you know, is like this little boy is the one who ends up being king in the end. So that's a like, you know, fun loop to close, I guess, even though, as we said, there's parts that don't make a ton of sense uh, about him being king. Um, I like the, you know, the small council scene was fun and it is kind of like, Again, this is like the, you know, the fan gets to write it like, yeah, it was like, very like Ron will be master of coin. Like, okay, why not? Um, and, um, so that, it was, yeah, that was just kind of silly. And, you know, you see that Brienne is now the, like, uh, head of the Night's Guard or, or is that, no, King's Guard, I guess it would be called. Yeah. Um, and, and Pod is there too. Um, so we get some, you know, good farewells for them. There was the very cheesy part of, Brienne writing Jamie's like life story in the like book of soldier book of knights or whatever that yeah. I don't know like did they really uh, that could have been cut I feel like um and equally somewhat silly part although they they under you know they like undermined it of uh a giant tome being presented to Tyrion saying this is we're calling this a song of ice and fire and it's a story yeah, of, of everything that's happened and but then but it, it Sam all out. but winks at the camera <laughs> yeah uh, but so that seems yeah, that, that was like grown inducing but then they, were, they said that uh, Tyrion isn't mentioned in it at all so then you think which is I mean, it's just it's just funny on his face but also kind of has a point about you know the the historians are writing the, are writing the story, um, but they don't necessarily know what really happened, and so yeah. we got to see what really happened. But you know, in the world, it, it reminded me a lot of. Um, there's a name for this, but I, I'm not going to remember what it is. Um, when there's like a a buzzy book that comes out in DC, you know, like James Comey's book or something, and mm-hmm. everyone who's anyone in DC buys it and immediately turns to the index to see if they're in it. And it's funny that Tyrion basically did that with the, the history where he's like, oh, well, like I, I'm immediately going to try to figure out where I am in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was like the, um, uh, you know, the, uh, Bob Woodward, uh, first draft book yeah. of what, of yeah, the story exactly. of, of the last, uh, decade or so in Westeros. And yeah, so I enjoyed that. I, um, yeah, see, what, was there anything else? I feel like we've covered most of the moments from the finale. Um, do you think, is there anything we missed? Um, I, I thought well, one thing I noticed interesting is in um, Daenerys' speech to the, the Unsullied and Dothraki, um, she sort of echoes Cal Drogo's disturbing speech after she eats the heart, <laughs> um, where she's you know, talking about conquering the world and burning their cities to dust and, 
but she leaves out the part about like raping all the women and pillaging all the all the things. So I'm not really sure exactly what the significance of that was, but it's it's interesting that you know I think people have very fond memories of Cal Drogo, but you know even evil Danny was a somewhat less evil than Cal Drogo was. Um, yeah, I think people and, people um, have fond thoughts about Jason Momoa, and that probably yeah. is part of it. But in the um, in the book, it's made very explicit that on the that like Danny's fourteen, uh, and on their wedding night, um, he rapes her. So, and they, yeah. they make it more they make it less rapey in the when they film it, and, and the actress is older. But uh, yeah, he wasn't a good dude. But, but it shows that she imbibed uh, some of the philosophy of of Cal Drogo in the like burn you know burn their cities uh, part. The the other thing that struck me about that is uh, it's in another language that they they establish several times actually that Tyrion does not speak or speaks extremely poorly. Um, I think it was even in. You know, two episodes ago, where he's trying to get Jamie released. And oh yeah, yeah. Goes to the guards and like, you know, can't speak the language at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tyrion and John both don't speak this language. They like they didn't really hear the pitch on conquering the rest of the world. They, uh, you know, I feel like she might have needed to reiterate the uh, the idea of the. That's a good point. I didn't know, think of that. The people, people's international uh, <laughs> roaming yeah, there, across Essos or whatever. Yeah, there wasn't a simultaneous translation. Uh, Missande is gone, so she can't provide it. Right. And, yeah, um, they, but you know, the visuals weren't great of her <laughs> in her, yeah. in her bl- all black and the, uh, you know, um, the unsullied, uh, beating their, <laughs> beating their staffs against the ground three times each yeah, day. It reminded me of all the things it was most like, uh, I think just because of like the staircase and the sort of uh, the composition of it, it reminded me a lot of the, the Apple 1984 commercial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But obviously that is also echoing a, a long tradition of, you know, totalitarian fascist uh, portrayals on screen, you know, and very much like the, the Hunger Games also, um, where it's sort of in this ruined world. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just the, you know, the production design of the show has been, like, incredible throughout, like, they they created medieval, like, fascist a look, yeah. like, her, like, her outfit and the way they had... Uh, the characters standing and stuff and the set design uh, was all incredible. So really, I mean, you know, there's been, there's been problems with the plotting and the, and the characterization through like occasionally or more than occasionally. But like, I think the, the acting has always been really, really good. And the, um, you know, just the things that I can understand as a lay viewer, like it seemed like this is as good as has ever been on television. Um, uh, what, what do you think as a someone who works in the industry as like is this like a new bar that they set or or what I think so uh you know this is probably at least from my perspective um this is the like best respected show in the industry this is the one that people would be excited to work on it has the highest budget it has people who are extremely good at what they do in Every single department, the production design is top notch. The cinematography is top notch. The special effects are top notch. The acting is extre- extremely good. The writing is, you know, opinions differ, but um, it's it's certainly from like a craft standpoint, um, it's the the best of breed. Um, the uh, I, I did want to talk about one particular aspect of the production, which was the uh, the much ballyhooed coffee cup 
that was mm. left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've I've had that role on movies before where I was not a, like a visual effects supervisor, but I was an assistant editor who was in you know in charge of making sure visual effects shots were properly tracked and got into the cut the correct way. And this is just like everyone who does something like that for a living's worst nightmare is that you wake up, you're watching the thing air, or you're watching it in the theater, and I'm almost positive what happened is that the there was a visual effect shot that was made for that. It's not a difficult effect to do to comp out a coffee cup like that. It's not something that would be easily missed in a um, visual effect spotting session. And that when they were finishing it and they were finishing the show, doing the final color, um, an assistant or somebody forgot to insert the visual effect shot mm-hmm. in or inserted it in and accidentally deleted it or whatever. Um, and just my heart goes out to whoever was involved in that because it's the kind of mistake that like you know you you spend your whole career trying not to make you make it once it's going to follow you the rest of your career that people will ask you about the coffee cup and uh it could really you know i'm not gonna say it could happen to anyone but uh it's everyone's fear <laughs> wow so. yeah that's, that's interesting um and it's uh, it's, it's interesting how you know you know, I, I don't know what a comparable kind of show would be like, maybe Lost or something. Like, I'm sure the, the super fans have picked up various, like, screen errors in Lost where you can see the mic or the shadows are off or, or something. Um, but, you know, there weren't that many. And what's sort of changed is, like, over the last 10 years, um, it's become much easier to fix something like that. Like, mm-hmm. if you have a boom shadow or if you have a, uh, a reflection or a crew member even who's, who's in the shot, it's something that you can catch and fix almost 100% of the time. And so seeing something like, like the coffee shop, the coffee uh, cup that's in the middle of the frame, I mean, there's no, there's no explanation other than it was, you know, some terrible oversight at the last minute. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, everyone, everyone makes mistakes. Some of the greatest movies in the world have had, you know, continuity errors or visible equipment or, or something like that. Um, but... Um, yeah, like it's hard to think of a more high-profile way for that to, to be screwed up than the most popular show on television, kind of at the peak of its yeah its viewership. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it is. It is. I mean, it's. It's. I don't know. It's obviously funny. Just the first time you you saw it, I think they they like corrected it like immediately in like the like the update. I think the, by the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So if you like yeah. stream it on Amazon now or whatever, like the coffee cup has has gone away. Um. So that's different than how things used to work. I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's um. There's a there's one someone linked to a clip that's from the first season. And you see, it's a, a scene in Winterfell, and you see uh, like a a crew member or something walking through it. Like obviously a modern day, a person in a modern day jacket, yeah, like in a North Face jacket or something. Right? Yeah, wearing jeans, and they. Yeah. So, but the, you know, there wasn't as much scrutiny of the show back then because it was brand new and um, wasn't super popular yet. So, um, yeah, these things happen. Um, okay, so. And at the end of the day, you know, as we say in the post-production world, like if the audience doesn't notice it, it's not a mistake. So if, you know, I think most people were able to watch the episode uh, and not spot it, including myself, you know, you're not really paying attention to that part of the frame. So, uh, you know, all's well that ends well in terms of uh, most people's enjoyment of the the program. Um you know, obviously the nerds on the internet are going to catch anything if there's... Yeah, there's I mean, this is a show where people are probably... There are probably literally dozens of people going through frame by frame. Um, whereas exactly, if, if yeah. you're watching, like, 
I don't even know, like billions or something. And there was some like obvious, something that was obviously a mistake. It might not be caught um, by anyone. And yeah, it did take like a day or two before someone found it and posted it. Um, so yeah, okay. you don't, you don't want to be like the, uh, the nerds on the Simpsons who are like, Oh, I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. Where <laughs> right. um, at the end of the day, something fairly minor. Yeah, and like um, the, the fan convention where the guys like you know in episode twenty three OF, so okay, so we we've gone on a while, but do you have any general thought, general things you want to say in finality? Uh, this is as far as we know our last Game of Thrones conversations because Game of Thrones yeah. is over, but there may be sequels down the line. Uh, anything you would say to to wrap up? I think my my big picture thought on the show is a I really like the show. I think it was always wasn't always the best it could have been, um, but at the end of the day, it was really excellent. I don't think there was anything else like it on television, um, and especially because this is probably the end of an era in terms of there being a show this big. It's hard for me to think of a way another show like this could kind of gain the same mind share going forward where everything is so fragmented. Everyone is now watching things on demand in terms of there being sort of like, Hey, Sunday's at nine. This is happening. Everyone is watching it. Like it's, it's been sort of startling um, how the convention on, on Twitter and on Reddit and online is like, there's no spoiler period anymore where you're not allowed to talk about the show. Like people are live tweeting it. People are talking about it immediately after it ends because it's just assumed. Yeah. Every single person is watching this, and if you're not watching it, you're doing so at your own risk. Yeah, if, I thought um, about that too. If you if you care about spoilers, you are watching it live because, yeah. like, it's you know it's going to be spoiled with, within seconds of an of an ending. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm watching. I, I'm uh, chatting from the West Coast right now, and we were at the uh, the San Diego Padres game earlier today, and you know, they they were doing Game of Thrones themed events during the game. They were playing the Game of Thrones music. Um, they I saw online the Padres had. Ask the players how they who they thought was going to sit on the Iron Throne, and you know if the game had gone late enough, I'm sure people would have rushed out of the stadium to make sure they got home in time. Um, and it's hard to think of any television show like approaching that again. And maybe it will happen, but um, this this sort of feels like you know the end of an era. And uh, shout out to all the recap writers who are probably going to be unemployed. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I think I mentioned. I think I mentioned. Is, uh, I think I mentioned last time that there was there was a piece in the outline about the like uh, industry of Game of Thrones recapping and you know, like noted that there have been like 2,500 articles in the New York times about Game of Thrones in some way over the past 10 years. And like, they're, they're like the highest rated articles at every single site that you go to. If they ever have those sidebars, like mm-hmm. the most read stories, it's always like a Game of Thrones recap. Like I saw, oh God, I can't remember what the article was, but there was a, an interesting article in scientific American of all things about Game of Thrones. Um, and that was one of the most read stories on their website. And, you know, it just uh, it doesn't matter what your publication is across all media. Those were like the sort of the moneymaker. Yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. I mean, I mean, what are we doing here? We're providing content uh, right. <laughs> related to Game of Thrones. Um, and so, yeah, what could I, I could it will there be another TV show that replaces it? You can maybe imagine a movie like taking a similar um, cultural position, but, you know, not something that has spooled out. um you know, more or less year, yearly, uh, for eight or nine or 10 years. Um, that, that does seem like it's not going to happen again. Um, yeah, there seems to be a similar kind of like takes industry around star Wars and around, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe. Right. Which I don't, I don't follow, but those are, you know, once a year events at this point, um, for a television show. I don't know if it's 
really positioned to, to do that again. Yeah, so I, yeah, so I think you're probably right that we're not going to see something like this again early soon. Um, and, you know, is it... You know, what, it's like, what, what, what is the magic of Game of Thrones? Um, probably something that lots of people have waited on. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something to do with the, like, like you said, the subversion of the fantasy tropes. And we all know the traditional fantasy stories. And, um, and Martin, uh, found a, I guess, novel to me at least way to, um, mix those with like realistic, uh, human dilemmas and and yeah and then just all the stuff that we mentioned about the high quality of the production and the casting and the acting and uh, just all the crazy details that go into like creating this world that uh, you know where they have to like invent everything like every article of clothing and thing, the things that people are carrying around with them like uh, swords and, and shields and stuff they have to like build everything from scratch uh, it's crazy yeah. it's crazy just to reflect on how much human effort went into creating this storyline about dragons and uh, you know sword fights and, and, and stuff like that's normally considered for, for children um, so yeah I, I guess I, I don't know if I have anything else and it is after midnight here on the east coast um, so um so Michael, uh, thank you for uh, reacting to Game of Thrones uh, season eight episodes uh, on Blogging Heads for us. Um, thank you for having me on. It was uh, it was a blast. And so, if people want to follow you on Twitter, I think I know your handle. It is MTSW. That's correct. Um, and mine is ARYHCW. Um, and uh, last time we I said Valar. Doharis or Margolis? I actually can't remember this point. But um, what are, what are the other, are there any other farewells? They say uh, uh, wish you good wish fortune. you luck in the war in the wars to, to come or something. The wars to come, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, all of our all of our viewers, um, good fortune in the wars to come, uh, Michael. Thank you again, and we'll see you all again some later time. Thanks, Arya. Before you go, a quick message from the suits at Blogging Heads TV. Blogging Heads will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Blogging Heads programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.